Hello and welcome to Connected, the podcast about people, ideas, marketing, technology and everything that's good in this world. I'm ASD, a digital man here at Mediacom. Hello, I'm Sue Udman, Chief Transformation Officer at Mediacom. And I'm very happy to say uh, today joining us is Giles Edwards. How are you doing, Giles? Yeah, I'm very well. I'm very well. Thank you. Uh, Giles is the founder and creative director at GASP. He's also the creator of the Isolated Talks, host of the Call to Action podcast, as well as being a mentor for several organisations. So I'm I'm going to kick off and ask you, um, where, where are we now? We're recording this in June 2021. We're hoping very much that lockdown will be continuing to ease through the month, although clearly we don't know at the moment. You've had a year leading an agency during lockdown. What have you learned um, yeah, from your experiences? Oh, I, um, I don't claim to be a leader, first and foremost. Um, I, I hope I've learned something from this. I've certainly recognised quite a few things which were valid pre-COVID, mm-hmm. uh, but I think were exaggerated as a result of lockdown no doubt which is the is, is that work work-life balance is that the right term I mean because blend. of lockdown we like, to, we like to call it blend at Mediacom yeah well it certainly is a blend and it always has been but this yeah. has been an enforced mix I think work has invaded home um, and I think it's different working from home pre-covid isn't the same as being forced to work from home well, um, calling it living at work rather than working from home yeah, exactly that. And I think the two have impacted each other in a way that perhaps I certainly haven't experienced before. So the pandemic itself has introduced all sorts of problems to people's lives. And of course, people uh, people's lives affect how they work. So I've become even more aware of that. Um, I don't necessarily claim to have become better at understanding or managing that, but I've certainly become more aware of that. Could you tell us a bit about your isolated talks? Because you you kicked that off as we went into lockdown. I did, I did Sue, yes. And and I'm um I'm blessed that incredibly talented, wonderful people like yourself and ASD have supported the initiative. And we're up to, I believe, 152 talks so far from well over 140 speakers. So I, I think the idea came about at a moment where things were grinding to a halt across the industry, specifically for GASP. We had a terrible Tuesday where I believe almost all of our retainers were put on hold indefinitely, um, regardless of having you know fairly robust contracts in place with notice periods. I, I didn't want to be the guy to, to hold businesses to those notice periods, given we were all all fighting the same fight really, albeit from different angles. So it was it was a really tough week and I began to feel quite anxious. Um, but I I just it's hard to it's hard to explain Sue because I think retrospectively I can probably come up with a lovely sounding uh, reason why it all fell into place. But it was it was just an idea. It was an idea that everyone was stuck in isolation. Mm-hmm. And um, I had been due to give a few talks over the summer. Um, at a few events and I thought I I still wanted to do my talk and I thought well hang on a minute if even I had a few talks to give there must be some incredibly talented smarter people in our industry who also were gearing themselves up to present something to a group of people who can no longer attend these events so what if we just allowed people or, or put something together where 
that could still happen and we could tie up that loot. We're all we're all in isolation. We're all isolated. Isolated talks just kind of just, I don't know, materialized in my head. And I began trying to shape it up and it, it happened quite quickly. But it wouldn't have happened if we hadn't, um, if work hadn't ground to a halt. So I think in many ways it was a coping mechanism for me to 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 deal with the anxiety I was suffering. I needed a focus and that became a focus for me. And I'm very fortunate that it got some traction. And as I well, say, I lots of... And you support Samaritans as well is the other point that people who don't know it should know out there, which is there's, there's lots of you know, great speakers on it. But um, it, it yeah. was interesting support from Samaritans through it. it exactly that. And I, and I, and I, I, I believe that early on I was quite... Uh, I was quite confused why the mental health message wasn't really um, wasn't really being heard. It was quite obvious that this um, this was going to affect many people in many ways, and I was immediately aware of it, probably because of my own past experiences with mental health and and just managing a small team from an HR perspective. I'm I'm very mindful of. Of, of that and I didn't think the media were really reporting sufficiently on it and I spoke briefly to the Samaritans and learned very quickly that the calls that they were somehow uh, trying to facilitate and trying to manage were unprecedented and they were they were struggling and I just thought well actually well this could be a way of generating some some awareness but equally some money to help uh, give that resource to the Samaritans. And what a fantastic job you've done. You've been very humble about it, uh, Giles, but uh, I think one of your many skills is being able to take just a good idea, a simple idea, and then and grow it and make it happen and make it happen in a big scale. So I think you've done an amazing thing there. If, but thinking about that, if you could go back to day one of starting GASP, what would you do differently now? Uh, nothing and everything. <laughs> I'm a, is that I mean, out? like... Yeah, it is. Well, nothing because um, I think the question is a tricky one because or maybe it's an unfair one, ASD, because I think it's a bit like asking a school kid if they want to if they want to just bunk off double maths um, because it's hard. So I, I feel like within that question, you're asking me what were the difficult bits I'd like to miss? Um, that might be unfair. But the truth is, if you don't go through those really challenging bits, if you don't get sued in week two of starting GASP, if you don't struggle to make ends meet then you don't really learn um how to do those things so my answer is nothing for that reason but then it's everything as well because if if the if the true answer was nothing then clearly i haven't learned much in 11 years so of course everything would be different because i would be 11 years further forward i would have all this experience behind me so i think if i can rewrite the question if i was starting an agency tomorrow rather than going back to day one i would probably do it quite different. I would I would certainly be more confident. I would make the agency probably louder and bolder earlier. Um, and I'd probably be more honest from the off. There's a there was a perception that we needed to pretend to be bigger than we were when we started. Um, and it took us probably a couple of years to start just being quite honest about what we were we were a tiny little independent collective of creative misfits and oddballs who were quite smart at doing certain things and there's huge value to that and there very little good can come from changing or um like misdirecting clients about your size because actually the truth will find a way out and actually if they're buying into 
scale and you haven't got scale, then it's not going to end well. So I think that's something that I did learn um, and would do differently. So you have a very successful podcast called To Action and you've had some incredible guests on the show. Um, as uh, as people who podcast ourselves, we are very interested to know what are the three biggest lessons you've learned from your success? Ooh, three biggest lessons. Uh, three, three. I think every episode has been a lesson and selfishly there was a time after probably one year of running the podcast where we questioned whether we should continue call to action not because not exclusively just as a process of questioning everything that we do as an agency and looking at where the value is and whether that's a the right type of balance and ratio so selfishly i i find call to action for my own reasons brilliant because each episode is like a masterclass of sorts from whoever the guest professor is that we're speaking to that day and there's huge value to that i don't know if they're the biggest lessons but three that have stood out for me that i can recite very easily are um Beyonce is your time buddy uh that's from Gavin Strange so Gavin is an incredible uh fizzy fuzzy man a director at Ardman Animations and it's something that he brought to the pod that Beyonce was his time buddy but in truth she's all of our time buddies and time is something that is obviously very precious but time is often an excuse that people use for not achieving and not giving something the resource and attention it deserves but the truth is everybody has the same 24 hours in a day now um privilege and responsibilities alters how much slack you might have within a time frame of course and no doubt queen bee has a whole team of people helping her day in day out but the truth is if time is your excuse then it's just it just doesn't really cut it um so gavin's definitely really uh, stayed with me. I spoke to a, a, a wonderful journalist called Harriet Minter recently and uh, a quote that she left me with was uh, proceed until apprehended and I love that. It, it immediately reminded me of one of my favourite tutors uh, I had in my foundation year at Knights Park at Kingston University a hugely talented incredible creative primarily a photographer and he used to show us his his art and um or his photography in fact and he the the subjects of these photos were places and spaces where we all knew he had no right to be in um and and they would include you know uh buckingham palace and and, and all sorts of known areas and and, and he just said to us, well, if you just wear a high vis jacket and walk in, you can do anything. You can go anywhere and people don't question you. And it was amazing. And I hadn't thought about him until Harriet mentioned proceed until apprehended. And I think that's uh, I think that's great advice. Um, and you need three, don't you? You want three. So the, the, the yeah, the third, I think, uh, is from Charlie Russell. So Charlie is one of the founding members of. Uh, the goes the play that goes wrong shows that's been on the BBC uh, I think the last two Christmases and they've done quite a bit over lockdown they've done some zoom on demand uh, improv movie nights and I taught myself about failure and how significant it is to fail and the importance of failing um, 
And I believe that if you can keep picking yourself up again and failing, you're more likely to succeed. And there's, there must be parallels between the most successful people in, in life and those who have failed the most. But it's never quite sat right with me. And she reframed it. She said that the important thing for her, as, uh, primarily as an improv comedian, is just to become familiar with failure, that feeling you get from failure, because failure holds us back. That fear of failure holds us back so much in life. And it's not about just hurtling into it head first, knowing you're going to fail. It's just being familiar with that feeling when things don't work out immediately makes the threat less real and less significant and i think that was a i think that's a wonderful lesson it's something that we 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 kind of preach wherever we can to our own our own team it's really lovely mate um nietzsche said he who has a why to live cannot bear almost any how however anyone glancing at your twitter will see that you're not the biggest fan of uh, simon sinek's book start with why what is your problem with that book here we go <laughs> <laughs> I so I don't have a problem with with the book. Um I have a bit of a problem with the book, but I don't have a big problem with with purpose and brand purpose and I think each of us individually can have a purpose that is significant to our lives and helps us live our lives and do great things. So that's not my issue. My issue like with so many things, it isn't the thing, it's the application of the thing. So on Call to Action, I've been known to have a dig at Pokemon Go. Um, I have nothing against Pokemon Go for the same reasons. It's more, it's more augmented reality is the answer. Watch the question. It's 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 the application and how people use that um, as as a as a means to an end rather than a than a true purpose. And from a business perspective, which is I believe entirely different to an individual perspective, having a purpose. It, I think if you have a purpose and you exploit privileged corporate loopholes to dodge tax, that doesn't work for me. I find that hypocritical. I think you can do one, but you can't do both. And I don't have issues with big businesses um, maximizing profits and using privileged corporate loopholes. I have a problem when those very same businesses pull stunts under the guise of brand purpose and win public favor off the back of it. That's that's the issue I have with purpose. I think there's very few businesses that have a true purpose. They're often they're often born with purpose. They're the likes of Timpsons who incidentally don't really shout about all the great work that they do. Um, they're often founder led. Um, you get your Tom Roach actually wrote a great piece recently. I've always seen it as quite binary in as much as there's two types. There's the the purposeful and the non he splits the non into two. He, he, he gives them the, the moniker corporate converts, which are businesses that perhaps historically haven't been done much for good, who have kind of changed their ways and are trying to maybe fix past wrongs, but they're quite honest and open about it. And then you've got your pseudo purposeful brands. And they're the brands who, who kind of treat it as a, as a, as a, as a way of whitewashing the reality within the business. And, and that's my issue. So it's less a focus on the have a reason for doing something. It's more a it's a it's a frustration that businesses are using purpose as a marketing tool, essentially. Yeah, 
exactly that there's there's i'm mindful of the vast network of brilliant clients that you have so i'm not going to call any out in particular uh, in case there is a conflict there and and, and I, I need to stress that these are my thoughts and not the thoughts of um, of mediacom or, or wpp but there's businesses out there who are winning all sorts of awards off the back of brand purpose and raising money for lovely causes but they're raising money which equates to about one percent of the corporation tax that they dodged in the previous year and that that just doesn't sit well with me i mean look it's a really big conversation because also the other point is 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 brand purpose simply a not a re-expression of the marketing reason to buy as well and we could probably mm. talk about this actually for an hour but we haven't got an hour with you today and this True. may lead us though to the answer to the next question i'm not sure which is <laughs> If you could change our industry in one way right now, we're going to give you a magic wand. What would you do? Um, I would. I, I'm assuming I can't wish for more wishes. Um, I would. Want, I'd like to. <laughs> it's not allowed, Susan. No. no, Susan's not allowing that. That's fair. Um, I, I think there's lots of things that need to change. I don't think I'm the right person to change certain things. There's certainly socio socioeconomic barriers that need to be broken down, and I think you need to talk to the lights of. Um, Sarah P or, or Will Humphrey about those because I don't think I will articulate it as well as they could. So for me, I have a few beefs and I'm going to broadly put them under our obsession with inputs and lack of attention or um, lack of attention to outputs. So as an industry, I find that we fight internally quite a lot and that can manifest its way onto, say, marketing Twitter it can um, it can obviously manifest within businesses. And I think we obsess over things that go into the work we do and take an eye off the output and um, what we actually achieve from the work that we do. And that and that in itself, looking at inputs over outputs can be something as, as, as simple from a semantics perspective where we will probably have full blown arguments about whether something's distinct or different. And ultimately the customer doesn't actually care uh, the importance is 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 the effect and, and incidentally i've heard smarter people than me use the word different when you know the textbooks would would argue that they actually mean distinct and vice versa um the other the other place where that kind of materializes is when when it comes to billing so gasp doesn't have a time-based rate card it's something that we implemented a few years ago after i did some pricing workshops with a, with a incredibly um talented guy who runs ignition consulting and the output is really all that should matter when we when we the billable hour has a place and it has a place primarily in factories in the industrial era but the types of work that we do and the types of magic that creative agencies are behind can't really be accurately measured in time and yet i feel like the 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 conversations we have with clients when we allow it to be split into time and units of time and things that sit neatly in a spreadsheet uh, lots of lots of negative things happen as a consequence really interesting uh, so now on to our questions we ask all our guests so we can compare and contrast so what is your favorite line from a poem a song or a book my favorite line i've got so many i've got so many i'm obsessed with um <laughs> I'm obsessed with hip hop. I'm obsessed with lyrics, not the music. And I'm obsessed with the writing of certain people like Method Man at Wu-Tang Clan and things like that, which which I'm not going to even try and, and say in my middle class white man voice. So 
there's there's a couple of other options I thought about. I've always loved Fantastic Mr. Fox, and there's a line in Fantastic Mr. Fox which which is, I understand what you're saying, and your comments are valuable, but I'm going to ignore your advice. And I love that because it has it has diplomacy, it has uh, a politeness to the no that's being delivered, in a way that isn't awkward. And I think it's a very un-British thing uh, to be able to do that. I, I lived in um, I lived in Spain. No, I didn't live in Spain. I lived in Basque Country for a couple of years. They wouldn't like me saying that. And what was wonderful about my time there is, is if you're out walking about and you're you have a task, you're going to the shops, whatever it might be, and you see a friend across the road, you just say hasta luego. You just say see you later, and you don't even slow down. You just walk straight. <laughs> you walk straight past them, and there's a freedom to that which I loved that we don't have in England. So there's something about that being able to diplomatically say no, um, which Roald Dahl delivered in Fantastic Mr. Fox, which, which I just love. There's, there's another, am I allowed to just quickly squeeze another one in, which I, which again, I only found yesterday. Not really, but uh, as it's you, Giles, all right. <laughs> as, as I'm just going to plough through. That's going to do for the whole format. You're breaking oh, it but go I've on. screwed it. And I'm always doing that. Sorry, Sue. I, uh, <laughs> I was clearing up my desktop yesterday and there's something I leave on my desktop because I know that every few months I try and clear it up and I forget about it and it reminded me. And it's a letter that was uh, Maurice Sendak, the late great American illustrator. He used to answer all of his fan mail and he wrote back to a little boy called Jim um, with some care and consideration uh, because he loved the fan mail so much. And he even drew um, a little picture of a wild thing in the card and sent it back to little Jim. (laughs) uh, Jim's mother wrote back to Maurice to just thank him for being so generous. And, and the words that she wrote in her letter, it's the finest nine words, that just, nothing else can make me smile this much, is she, she wrote to Maurice, Jim loved your card so much he ate it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just loved that so much. I love the idea that someone loved something so much they just had to consume right, so it. Now, so now we're going to make you pick Mr. Fox or eating the card. Eating the card. It's much better. It's It's just so brilliant. Um, If you were a genie, what five commonly available objects would I have to put in a magic circle to summon you? Well, um, and you're not allowed to say your phone, right? I'm just I'm just putting that out. I'm very tired of that answer. Yeah, no, I need to detach myself from my phone. So I'll gladly ignore that. The three easy, boring ones are a football, a frisbee and a pair of slippers, simply because I don't go anywhere or I rarely go places without all three of those things. I've even got spare slippers in my boot at people's houses. Um, if that makes me pathetic, <laughs> and it does make me pathetic. No, no, no but what's, what, what you're making me think is um, you must be even more bombarded by slipper advertising than all of the rest of us. <laughs> ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Homies ads follow me around. Um, what, what, what brand slippers have you got uh, or a particular type of slipper? Uh, I well historically I've flirted between uh, homies and um, kind of some little Todd slip-on things but Nick Ellis is trying to convert me to Birkenstocks and I have a pair arriving today um, to kind of free my feet and give my arches a bit of crucial support so there you go a bit too much too much detail but that's my answer and then the other two um, (laughs) I, I, I feel like it needs to be quite personal and quite distinct from other people's choices so one of them is a fez um 
I'm obsessed with stand-up comedy. I, I'm unhealthily obsessed with stand-up. I go to stand-up as much as I can. I can recite so many jokes from so many comedians, and I'm not going to do it before you ask, but it's mm-hmm. Tommy Cooper. Tommy Cooper is the, is the, was the first, very first comedian who just I fell in love with, like watching back footage that my dad was obsessed with, with, with Tommy Cooper. So I think a Fez definitely um, has to go in. And, and, and the fifth one is going to be a map of Cairo. Um, <laughs> I've never been to Cairo, uh, but there is, and this this has links to my previous answer in comedy. There was a sketch on the Far Show where the husband would go out or return back to the house, and his wife would say, "Oh, did you get the milk, the eggs, the bread?" And and he'd always say, "No, no, I didn't, but I got." And it would always be something better in his mind. And one week he came back, he didn't buy the eggs. He bought a map of Cairo and I don't know, something, an emergency table tennis bat or something. And there was something about a map of Cairo that was just so brilliantly and beautifully ridiculous. And I was watching it for the first time with a, with a, with a good friend of mine called Matt Hamilton. And it just, I, I don't, I don't remember how long it stopped. It took for us to stop crying, but it was a long time. Um, and then I tried to buy a map of Cairo for his 18th birthday. And this was pre-internet. That's how old I am. And it was so difficult, but I managed to do it. I managed to find this bizarre independent bookshop that had a map of Cairo. So, um, yeah, that's fine. Those, those, those are the days, right, when there was when there was dramatic tension to to finding a map of Cairo. To yeah. yeah, I challenge you. I've I cha- got no idea. <laughs> no. Where do you go for a map of Cairo? I mean, Christ, difficult. Your single best skill, Giles? Um, I I don't know. Um, uh, I've been told recently and and throughout my career that I'm either annoyingly curious or obsessively curious. In fact, someone wrote about me the other day. I am curious to the point of everyone's annoyance. Um, and I think there's a, I think there's an indirect, almost a passive skill that that comes from curiosity. Certainly. Um, certainly as someone who would claim to be creative um, and wear the creative director hat because I think it's only by toying and playing with things and my, my pathetic immaturity helps me play with things too um, that helps you discover new things and new combinations so I think curiosity I don't know if it's a skill ASD but it's a it's certainly a, an important thing I think it's a muscle I, I do think curiosity is a muscle like you have to to have an active interest in lots of things. I think it's a muscle that you can strengthen. I think we're all we're all born with it. Right. Because obviously kids are innately curious and mm. then we get it knocked out of us very often. So you have to you have to practice to re, to revive it. And, and and speaking of that, what would you practice more if you've got the t- if you had the time and space? Um, time and space. I would. um I would I, I really want to learn sign language um, and I've really wanted to learn sign language for years but I've never had the time so if I if you gave me more time I would I would um, I would probably learn sign language I think uh, I, you, you, you speak sign language we do we did it with both the kids so I've got a, a fairly good repertoire of sign language and it was the best thing we did because before they can speak they want to communicate and so being able to say more yes no thank you hot head you know all those different things danger it's been it's an incredible tool so now Ellen who is 18 months now mixes words so she'll say where and then do the sign for Z, which is Zoe my other kid or she it, it's it's been absolutely brilliant oh, wow. it, it was incredibly rewarding 
yeah I've had um I've had very rewarding experiences living in so when I lived in in Bilbao I learned some Basque um I I, I say I learned some Basque I learned a few things in Basque in Iscaria and the even saying thank you in in Basque in a local bar where if I'm being honest they don't particularly like non-Basque people I think that's well reported the whole bar turned around and applauded it was it was it was bizarre and up until that point I was almost too scared to go into the bar because I stood out you know and, and you know I could tell I wasn't wanted and and when I lived in Indonesia for two years I learned I didn't learn well I did try and learn Indonesian but I actually learned Javanese so I learned the the, the native language of the island and that again had the same effect on, on local people and I find myself or have found myself numerous times pre-pandemic on a, on a, on the tube and I've seen um, I've seen a couple talking in sign language and I've always wanted to be able to talk not to eavesdrop although I suppose actually that would be interesting too but I've always wanted to be able to talk to small niche of people niches of people I think there's I think it's important yeah well I was watching S4C the other day because they've got all the they had the Welsh game football games and um the, the in the ad break half of the ads were in welsh and half of them were just the english ads which obviously just been bought and they stuck out like a sore thumb not it wasn't just even the language then it was just but tell you what was really good the uh sponsorship ident uh the uh, the book ended uh, was in welsh both in the language and the text on screen and that was a really lovely thing but yeah uh, anyway uh what fictional world would you live in and why uh that's the easiest one to answer uh, gotham city please. I read a quote the other day that said uh, little people want to be Batman but when they're old they really want to be Bruce Wayne just left alone with their millions in their in their house and it's so true I'm now Bruce Wayne I think I've, I've turned I, old now. Yeah but my thing is I hate Batman I don't like Batman I oh. love Gotham City but I don't like Batman. Oh. That's what, that's strange. Yeah it's strange thank you. <laughs> uh, someone else said the same thing. I think Batman? Was... You, 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 are, are you basically are you more of uh, akin to his uh other side are you are you actually a friend of the joker uh, yeah, well to be honest i would i would think it would be more fun to hang out with the joker and and uh, danny devito's penguin um <laughs> you'd, have to, you'd have to watch your back um but there's something there's something wonderfully eerie and carny and yet still big city and glamorous and mm. i don't know mildly threatening about gotham city there's something about the alleyways and it's just all of, it's just got a, a wonderful mix of, of everything but no I've, I've never been keen on batman i, I don't really right. count him as a superhero he's not he's a normal person who just went through some trauma and now you're hating on him yeah yeah i don't like batman <laughs> Again, that's a that's a whole other sort of discussion. Um, I'm now holding up two cards. I hope you from uh, a question you cannot prepare for, ripped at random from a box from the School of Life. Um, uh, Andrew required a while ago, pre-lockdown. Um, and yes. I'm going to say you can see me, can't you? A, yeah. B, and C. Which one would you like? Uh, it has to be A, please. Okay. Where do you feel most at home? Oh. Blimey. Um, probably playing football. Uh, so at the moment, I play football at a local five-a-side goal centre. And I, 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 my dad was a professional sportsman and I grew up having four, uh, sport just uh, kind of almost uncomfortably forced upon me, whether it was judo, tennis, cricket, rugby. It was primarily rugby for a time. He was a Welshman. Um, and, uh, but, I, but, I, but I play football obsessively for years and years and years. 
Uh, I still believe I could be a professional footballer. I obviously can't. I had a few years semi-pro when I was 13 or from when I was 13. And there's, I, I played football for hours every day and I still love it. It's partly the child in me, but give me a football and I'll just chase it all day. Brilliant. Giles, thank you. It's lovely to hear your voice and it's lovely to hear your answer. So thank you very much for your time. Oh, thank you. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Sue. Thank you, ASD. So both of you. Take care, everyone out there.